You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal in the Katie Copied Off in Math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Or if you have a smart device like Amazon Alexa, Siri, even Google Home, you can ask it to play podcast Locked On Vikings. And today, I want to start with the story of one of last year's draft picks. He grew up in Gilmer, Texas, went to the University of Texas. It's Chris Boyd, and he has a lot of really fun connections to other players on the Vikings, uh, formerly on the Vikings and elsewhere in the NFL. But I want to back up a lot further uh, than that. And I want to actually start in Gilmer, Texas, in his hometown, where Chris Boyd was raised by his grandmother. His dad died at an early age. His mom struggled with addiction, so his grandma raised him. And when he was about to go into high school, I believe it was, his coach, Randall Kanati, 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 uh, went to go check on these boys that were going to be on his team. They didn't show up for school that day, uh, and he didn't believe it when Miss Athlete Taylor, uh, the grandmother of the Boyd brothers, said, no, no, they told me they were sick, and he said, I don't buy it, they gotta be in school today. And then she turned around on the couch she was sitting on and said, whatever happens, take care of my boys. And she passed away the next day. And that kind of sparked this father figure mentorship role for Randall Kanati for Chris Boyd and his brother. But this is not an easy path to come through, especially in a place like Gilmer, Texas, where the average household income is about half of the national average. This is a tough place to come from, and having football and having that kind of family, that that father figure in a coach that can kind of bring you up and keep you out of trouble when you're a kid, that's such a huge thing, and that is not something that is lost on Chris Boyd, how he says all the time, I shouldn't be here, I'm lucky to be here, and his talent and his level of play, obviously, you know, you earn it to some degree if you get to this level, but he understands just how many people have been in similar situations with no parents, in a, a world that might not take care of you, and he knows that he made it out, which I think makes whatever happens in Chris Boyd's career a pretty astonishing and inspiring thing. But on the football side, he had a little bit more help and quite a bit of attention, actually, from Texas. Obviously, he's a Texas kid. He was a cornerback. And he ended up kind of getting recruited and building a little bit of a relationship with Quandre Diggs, now on the Seahawks, formerly of the Lions. Of course, Quandre Diggs was uh, was having a great really illustrious career at Texas at the time, and he brought Chris Boyd and his high school classmate, Holton Hill, into Texas for recruiting and uh, had them kind of be the next generation of Texas cornerbacks. At the time, there was Quandre Diggs, Duke Thomas was there, if you remember him from uh, last preseason, and that was going to kind of be the, the trio, the new trio of Texas cornerbacks to come and like take them through the next few years of the program. And so Holton Hill really, really excelled. Obviously, he, he had a, a great career uh, on the field, at least, but he kept getting in trouble, right? And so there was uh, always a little bit of an opening and a little bit of time for guys like Duke Thomas and Chris Boyd to 
take over and and kind of fill in. So Quandre Diggs graduates, gets drafted. Uh, you have Holton Hill, who's kind of cemented his spot. And then you have like this competition between Chris Boyd and Duke Thomas that lasts like two or three years in a row. And it goes back and forth and, and they both kind of have their ups and downs as cornerbacks for the Texas Longhorns. Uh, unfortunately for Chris Boyd and Duke Thomas and Holton Hill and the whole lot, uh, Texas is a pretty up and down program nowadays. And so they kind of always have this sense of unfinished business. There's this particularly frustrating moment very early in Chris Boyd's career, and it's what I kind of focused the thing on last time uh, during last year's iteration of this series. There are a few repeats here and there. Basically, anybody who joined the team last year uh, was covered last year and is going to be covered again this year. I figured that redundancy is fine. There's lots of new people around, and if nothing else, it's fun to get a refresher, and I tried to take a different take the second time around. But anyways, Chris Boyd has this moment in his like first or second year with Texas where things are going really bad, and there's a lot of dis- uh, displeasure with management, and somebody else on the team posts something like, uh, you know, call me, I'm open for transfers. I want to get out of here. Something with that, uh, you know, like come, come get me uh, something with, with that vibe. And Chris Boyd retweets it and he gets in a whole bunch of trouble for it. It's a whole thing, a big media kerfuffle. And, uh, you know, everybody's asking, you know, do you want out? Do you want out of Texas? Do you hate it? Do you hate it? In reality, you know, he's just a kid on social media. That's mad. You know, I'm sure we've all posted things that we then are like, I probably shouldn't have posted that. I know I have plenty of tweets that I would love to delete. But hey, I'm no coward. You guys can dig up all my old bad takes if you want. But suffice it to say, there's a lesson to be learned here. And so Chris Boy kind of learns there to, you know, put his head down and to appreciate where he's at and, and you know, apply a little bit more of a quiet workmanship attitude. And that quiet workmanship attitude, along with the, you know, he's overcome quite a lot and look at how hard he's had to work to get to this part, I think that a lot of that is what really draws Mike Zimmer's eye. He is such a Mike Zimmer personality in terms of what Zimmer wants from a cornerback. And so he gets drafted in the seventh round and Mike Zimmer takes this huge liking to him, really likes him at his pro day and stuff and spends a bunch of time with him in training camp, like an inordinate amount of time in his rookie year. So Chris Boyd comes in, it's 2019, he's trying to make the team. He is once again, finds himself reunited with Duke Thomas. So after, uh, Duke Thomas's senior year, he goes out for the NFL. He doesn't make it. He, he spends a minute in the AAF and becomes one of the AAF signings that was tried to make the team last year. Uh, and so Chris Boyd gets drafted to the same team, and here he is back with Duke Thomas. And once again, they end up battling with each other to get the final roster spot. The way the roster was constructed in 2019, there was one final, ended up being one final cornerback spot after like Benet Ben Wickery and like some other weird stuff happened. There was one final cornerback spot that came down to Chris Boyd and Duke Thomas. And it came all the way down to the fourth preseason game against the Buffalo Bills. And it really was whoever outplays who in this game. They were pretty much tied going into that game. And that game became the Super Bowl. It was maybe my favorite storyline of that game last year. Uh, Duke Thomas made a couple of critical mistakes. Chris Boyd played pretty well. Chris Boyd gets the uh, gets the roster spot, plays a little special teams, and Duke Thomas is once again bested by Chris Boyd and, and doesn't stick uh, on the Vikings. So now we get to a point where Chris Boyd is again kind of defending his roster spot, but it's not nearly as mano-a-mano as it was before. You have other like previous roster alums like Nate Metters. You have Harrison Hand, who maybe is probably going to move to safety, but at least right now he's listed at cornerback, so you got to see what happens there. And then you have this huge field 
of kind of wild cards, guys like Marcus Sales and Kimon Hall and Mark Fields, uh, you know, guys who kind of come with these question marks and unknown. And Chris Boyd is kind of going to have to fend off like all of them. Uh, he has to probably be top two in this group to make the team, if not top one, depending on what they do and who makes the team on special teams and stuff. So Chris Boyd definitely has his work cut out for him, but at least he has the advantage in the kind of momentum that comes with making the team last year. Changing Gears really quick, the Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, the hosts, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your own donation along with us, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. So moving on, we're going to go into the main topic of the day. But first, I want to talk to you quick about Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a one-stop shop online for all of your car, uh, truck, part needs. And the great thing about Rock Auto is that they are... Well, now, maybe not great for them, but great for you is that they're an online car parts place. So they're shipping you parts. Uh, and so that means that they have to convince you to not go to one of the more, like, trusted uh, brick-and-mortar stores like AutoZone or O'Reilly or whatever, and that means that they have to lower their prices a ton. You can save like 15 to 20% off on a ton of things, and they have this great, awesome selection depending on the make and model and year of their car. They actually had parts for my car, I looked it up, and my car is a 1999 car. So it's definitely worth checking out if you need any parts for your car or truck. Go to rockauto.com and in the comment section, tell them that Locked On sent you. I would very much appreciate it. Okay, so the main topic of the day, uh, I got the idea from a post on Twitter from Next Gen Stats. They posted, and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on now that people really are diving into the NFL news of the hour and the standard NFL news of the hour outside of, you know, whatever random arrest stuff is going on or weird, uh, you know, COVID-related reopenings and stuff like that. Uh, and of course, you know, protests against racism and social injustice. There's quite a bit going on uh, relevant to the NFL that isn't like directly football related, but the football related news that's going on is uh, Dalvin Cook's holdout and and his extension and what should you do. Uh, so Next Gen Stats chimed in on this with a, a type of post that I don't particularly love, uh, and it's a, a very strange split. They took a lot of weird box score stats like uh, Kirk Cousins's touchdown interception ratio, passer rating, yards per attempt, completion percentage. And if you listen to this show, you know why I, I really disagree with the use of those stats to like answer the question, is Kirk Cousins good or is Kirk Cousins better, you know, in column A than column B. Um, but they did this, this thing and uh, they said, you know, with Cook on the field and Cook off the field, how do these stats change? I hate this heuristic. I hate this uh, way of looking at things. I think if you wanted to ask the question, is Kirk Cousins better or worse with Dalvin Cook on the field? For one, you have to justify and like at least come up with a hypothesis that if you do find a difference, it's not going to be because of something else, like down a distance or whatever. Uh, and I, if you do that, then I think you need to kind of do employ a more responsible stat block like EPA or you know more interesting 
way or completion percentage over expectation or pressure rates or, you know, maybe dive deeper into what is the the impact that a running back would have on the passing game. Why don't we just look at only plays where Dalvin Cook was targeted because a play where he was just like there and he was the check down doesn't have a lot to do with, you know, whether or not he Kirk Cousins found Stefan Diggs deep on a post route for a big, long touchdown. And if you want to look, oh, well, maybe it was pass protection. Can't you just look at the pass protection stats for Dalvin Cook versus like Alexander Madison? I don't know. It just seems like a very strange roundabout way to get a good engagement post. But I'm talking about it. So I guess it worked. Uh, and but what they decided to highlight was interceptions. So the the tweet reads, Kirk Cousins in the Vikings passing game was most productive when Dalvin Cook was on the field last season. Cousins threw five interceptions on 165 pass attempts without Cook and threw one interception on 279 pass attempts with Cook. So essentially, yeah, when Cook's on the field, he throws fewer interceptions. And I was really skeptical on this. For one, that's a really small sample. That's only six plays, right? Six data points, six interceptions is not going to be great for drawing a conclusion. And hey, good on Kirk for making it hard to draw conclusions with his small sample of interceptions. But like I said, I mean, even if you had a bigger sample, it's kind of strange and it, it's probably worth looking into these six plays. It's a small enough sample where we can kind of e- easily go in and just look at these plays and say, OK, is there something going on with the running back here that's like causing uh, interceptions because of bad running back play when Dalvin Cook is on the field? Like if Amir Abdullah or Alexander Madison on the field, are they making some big mistake that's causing interceptions? Is this a thing that we should look into? And because there's only six plays, it's kind of easy to just like look at it. So that's what we're going to do today. And we're also just going to break down those interceptions. I think that can be a fun exercise. It's going to look pretty bad on Kirk Cousins, I would uh, imagine, because we're cherry picking like the worst possible plays we could go and find, right? We went out and found his interceptions. Of course, this is not going to be an exercise that makes him look good, but we're not really worried about that, I don't think, because really, we're just trying to find out what happened on these interceptions, and especially if there is a common pattern, then maybe we can evaluate if there is a behavior that needs to change. So let's jump right into it. So the first couple interceptions happened in the week two game against the Packers in Lambeau. Uh, so this was out of empty. There was no pressure on the play. So the lack of a running back doesn't really make sense here. Uh, and there wasn't therefore really a need for check down as I'm going to get into in a second here. So this was one with a follow concept is really what I want to focus on. There's a lot going on here. Uh, but basically there's a lot of quick outs or a, a quick ins and outs, quick breaking routes at a, at a right angle that are supposed to give uh, like kind of a spacing concept down the field and give Kirk Cousins a chance to kind of figure out who's the most open. So he targets Stefan Diggs here and he finds a very, very tight window to try and fit it in. This is a behavior that is very, very common for Kirk Cousins and it's one that leads to plenty of weird plays as we're going to find out, plenty of great plays as we, I think we're all familiar with, uh, but this is just something that he's like always going to do. And what happens is Darnell Savage as the safety is playing uh, what I believe is a Rob zone or it's a cover two that he just reads really quickly. Um, but I believe it's a robber zone. So what a robber zone is, is you make it look like you're going to be uh, a cover two safety, meaning you're going to cover the uh, one half of the field, either the left side or the right side of the field, but all the deep parts. Um, and you line up looking that way, but then you actually crash down into the like more underneath, like intermediate part of the field and try to pick something off. So Kirk Cousins totally falls for this. I think this is, it's pretty obvious that he just like 
fell for it and thought it was going to be cover two and it was going to be easy. And therefore, all you had to do was split the two linebackers. That's the first read on a play like this. Um, and there, there you go. You were going to have a nice, easy completion as long as you can fit it into the window. And Kirk Cousins is always going to try to fit it into the window. If he were reading it properly and he identified the robber zone, he probably would have gone and thrown a, a quick out to Kyle Rudolph at the same depth, who uh, was actually like going to get a, a really nice window there. Uh, but he misread the play. Darnell Savage got a hand on it. It popped up into the air and ends up la- landing in the lap of a Packers defender. It's an interception. Definitely nothing I can think about this play uh, would change if a running back were on the field, unless you give it like, well, if a running back were on the field, it would have been a different play call, and then it would have been a different read, but I feel like that's a very strange way to justify, like, blaming it on the lack of a running back, like the next-gen stat post implies, so we'll put that in the no column for now, and in terms of who we are blaming for this, I think we can blame for Kirk Cousins for this one. Uh, the defense tricked him with a disguised coverage, with a, with a robber zone, uh, you know, you fell for it, it happens. Uh, the next one, I'll do the next Lambo one and then we'll step away for a sec. Um, the, the next one is going to be the one you probably remember from the Lambo game. This is the one that everybody was up in arms about, uh, because most people thought that Kevin Stefanski shouldn't have called a pass play. I think that's kind of dumb. I think a rollout, uh, from on, on first and goal or, uh, I think it was first and goal. Yeah, it was, it was first and goal from the eight yard line. Uh, and it was a bootleg, like naked bootleg, This is one of those times when, and I talked about this a ton during the season, if you remember, uh, one of the times when Preston Smith or whoever the edge rusher on on that side would just like crash up field, uh, there would be some, there was some protection uh, and, you know, it was, it ended up being Preston Smith one-on-one with Tyler Conklin. He gets into the backfield. He causes some pressure. Cousins tries to fit something in uh, from his back foot and he ends up under throwing the ball and it's picked off and this ended up kind of defining the game. Here's the kicker with this one. It was a play action fake to Dalvin Cook. So the idea that this play could be solved by a change in running back probably doesn't like this doesn't exactly support that argument. So we can pretty quickly move on from it and call this one Kirk Cousins's fault as well. Before I get too deep into this, uh, I want to quickly talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It's this very rich, luscious, chocolatey flavor. It's a very like complete and developed flavor. It's not just packed with sugar and makes it, which would make it something that like you can't have in the morning. It's really, really nice. And it comes in a whole bunch of really fun flavors. There's like a uh, peanut butter brownie one. There's like a chocolate raspberry one. There's a chocolate orange one. If that's your style, if you like to get down and dirty and weird, Uh, there's a chocolate covered banana bread one, which is my favorite. And if you're interested in all of these flavors, uh, you can head over to BuiltBar.com. And if you enter the promo code Locked On, you can get 10 bucks off of your first order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code Locked On to get $10 off of your first order. Okay, moving on to the next interception. This is one you probably also remember, but Cousins went uh, interceptionless for a streak we talked about quite a bit uh, until it was week six against Philadelphia. So this was a a pretty easy uh, one to evaluate. This is a contested catch uh, opportunity. 
there actually is a bigger window than it looks like because you can kind of trust Stefan Diggs to do the toe tap thing. Um, but this is the one that Stefan Diggs actually drops. It hits him in the face mask. It's like a well-thrown ball on the run. Uh, Kirk Cousins does end up having to leave the pocket, but not because of a protection mistake made by Amir Abdullah at all. In fact, I would argue there is no protection mistake. Garrett Bradbury doesn't do a great job against, I think it's Fletcher. It was Fletcher Cox. Uh, he doesn't do a great job, but not so bad a job that it requires Kirk Cousins to break the pocket. I don't think he should have broken this pocket, but it also didn't uh, prevent him from throwing an accurate pass. So it's hard to be too mad. He throws a good pass. It hits uh, Stefan Diggs right in the hands, the catching parts, and it goes through his hands off his face mask, bounce up and lands into who else's lap but Andrew Sandejo. It's an interception. Pretty easy to peg this one on Stefan Diggs uh, and put this one also in the has nothing to do with the running back column and move on. The next one, I think, is a predetermined read. Uh, this one happened. He went interceptionless again all the way up until the Seattle game on Monday Night Football. And you remember a lot of talk was made out of that streak. There wasn't an interception that was his fault since week two uh, for like most of the season. Uh, but it happened in week 13 against Seattle. And I do think that this is a predetermined read. So Stefan Diggs is running a quick curl route. Trey Flowers is all over it. Uh, and Kirk Cousins just kind of throws to it anyways. There's no pressure here. Alexander Madison is the running back on the field. He's there for a check down uh, and was available to check down, but that's the uh, Cousins' read didn't get even close to that far. He, I think, saw inside leverage from the cornerback and the cornerback's back turned to him and went, I'm going to fire. Trey Flowers recovers beautifully and uh, doesn't give up any separation at the top of the route. It's a really good play by Trey Flowers. He gets in, contests it, it, it pops up into the air and they kind of wrestle over it and Trey Flowers ends up coming up with it. This one is difficult to peg blame. It's really easy to say, okay, who the running back was had absolutely nothing to do with this, right? There was no like attempting to do like a play action fake that they didn't uh, believe in because it wasn't Dalvin Cook. There was nothing like that. The, the check down was available if he wanted it. It's not like there was a problem running that route. He didn't exactly get out of the, the pocket that cleanly, but I don't think that had a lot to do with this. I think Cousins thought he liked what he saw with throwing to Diggs. He threw to Diggs and it didn't work out. In terms of who to blame, I'm torn here because I, I, one, on one hand, I do want to kind of say, yeah, Stefan Diggs just lost the contested catch opportunity, but it was probably an ill-advised one from the get-go. It's tough to evaluate this play because it was such a quick throw that it's hard to know if other routes were going to work out or not because, you know, corners, uh, the Seattle's defense reacts pretty quickly to the quick throw and then it makes it look there's a, a post route that Kyle Rudolph is running across the field and it makes it look like he's totally going to be open. But I think that's only the case because uh, the Seattle defense was already flowing the other way toward where the ball was thrown. Uh, so it's, it's I, I don't think this was a very, like, well-advised throw. I think it, you probably needed to time it the way you timed it. It was a little bit of a late ball. It was off of a weird platform because Rashad Hill was in the game at that time and he got beat. And, you know, looking at it, uh, Alexander Madison, I think, was supposed to chip him and could have done a better job, but it doesn't seem like the pressure really did this. I, I, I think just trying to evaluate what Kirk Cousins sees here, I think he saw some, he did audible before the play too. Uh, so I think he saw something with uh, Stefan Diggs one-on-one -on -one with a quick curl called and he went, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to close my eyes and go to it. And it didn't work out. So I, I think that that's probably a decision that we can say, yeah, this one was like Kirk's fault, but certainly not as emphatically as we said that with the first two. But if you want to diverge from me and say, nah, Diggs should have won the contested catch, you know, his quarterback was relying on him, I certainly wouldn't fault you. 
Okay, next one is easier to identify. This is the one against the Chargers. You might remember Kirk Cousins tried to throw a screen and threw it way too low. Melvin Ingram came up with the interception. Uh, and it's difficult to not blame that on Kirk Cousins, right? But the target was to a running back, and that running back was Dalvin Cook. So is there something wrong with what Amir Abdullah did? Well, so on a screen, you're supposed to hit a certain landmark. Uh, Amir Abdullah was not impeded in any way. He didn't get tripped up on anybody. Uh, so unless he was supposed to be, you know, two yards further upfield or downfield or something like that, uh, here's what I think. I think Kirk Cousins didn't put enough air under it, and Mel Melvin Ingram made a hell of a play. I'm just going to pin this one on Kirk Cousins, and I think you have to make a lot of irresponsible assumptions to say that it mattered who the running back was. You have to say, A, that Dalvin Cook would have done that better, and he has had his own troubles getting to the right spot on screen plays. That's why a lot of th these screens sometimes go to, like, Kyle Rudolph, or this is why Amir Abdullah is in on these plays in the first place, because Dalvin Cook has, you know, hit the wrong landmark sometimes or dropped the ball sometimes. This has kind of been a thing. Uh, and it, you also have to assume that uh, Amir Abdullah hit the wrong landmark or somehow did his job wrong, and there's really no evidence pointing to that. You would just kind of have to assume it out of the blue. So I, I think we can put this in the no column of, like, would putting Dalvin Cook in have saved this play? And Kirk Cousins just threw a bad screen pass. That's, that's, that's the breaks. So the last one of the regular season, there was one in the playoffs, but the next gen stats post only talked about the regular season. So we'll, we'll keep it to that for now, uh, is the one, if you remember, there was a lot made about nailing the over route. Do you remember that phrase from the regular season? So there was, there's a concept that the Vikings love to use called Yankee. And that's where you have, uh, it's a play action pass concept. So this was a play action fake to Amir Abdullah. So if you wanted to blame one on the running back, not being Dalvin Cook, you could say if Dalvin Cook was in, maybe the play action fake would have worked better. And, and maybe this wouldn't have happened. That said, the play sits and develops for a long time, and the protection on the play is very sound. Kirk Cousins has all the time in the world to throw this ball, so it's difficult for me to believe that argument. But in terms of what happened here, so it's a Yankee concept. In this particular case, you have Stefan Diggs running a deep post, and you have uh, Adam Thielen running an over route underneath him, and they kind of cross in the middle of the field. So they start on opposite sides of the field, and about 25 yards down the field, they basically cross over each other. And the point of this is to put a safety in conflict. Do you go underneath with Adam Thielen, or do you go over the top with Stefan Diggs? Whichever you choose, the other guy is going to be in a really bad spot to cover his man. Uh, so one way to beat this, if you have cover three, well, there's two deep routes and there's three defenders, right? So you kind of have to have something. Uh, and if you recognize that this is happening, basically the, the defender that's on a side that's not being challenged, so you're, the, the deep post challenges the guy in the middle, the over challenges the guy on the opposite side of wherever he is, and there's like a guy left over. In this case, that guy's Kevin King. And you do what's called nailing the over. I, I don't really know where the nomenclature comes from, but uh, you basically uh, go to the deepest route. In this case, confusingly, that turns out to be the deep post that Diggs was running, and you go double cover it uh, and just kind of try to be there when the ball is thrown and go make a play on it. Well, it's thrown in a way that uh, there's some sketchy missed pass interference. It's overthrown a little bit, and, and uh, Diggs has a difficult time adjusting to it, um, and Kevin King is right there to pick it off, and there it is. That's the interception. 
So I guess, I don't know, if you wanted to be really salty about it, you could be like, well, there was missed pass interference and that's why the interception happened. I say if the ref didn't call it, I'm pretending it didn't exist. And I, I think that that's a weak excuse. And I think, and I take that position because most players take that position. And so I, I think like they wouldn't say, well, yeah, it wasn't my fault. There was pass interference. Uh, they, they would, and I believe Kirk Cousins did. He was like, yeah, no, I should have seen the guy lurking under there and should have not thrown it into that double coverage. So really, the the that was a lot of complex words for it. There was double coverage. It was kind of sneaky double coverage, and Kirk Cousins didn't see it. And that's going to be the last one. So I, I don't think that I really subscribe to the argument that that had anything to do with the play action fake not working. I think it worked well enough to, to get protection, and that should be enough. But really, what you saw was Kevin King read and found the route concept and knew exactly what he was supposed to do to beat it. And they got a pick. It's kind of difficult for me to really complicate it beyond that. So I'll put that one in Kirk Cousins' column as well. So of these six interceptions, I credited five to Kirk and one to Stefan Diggs. You could go four and two if you wanted to. I, I wouldn't hate you for it. None of them were that egregious. The screenplay was really bad. The rest of them were like a sneaky coverage got you or you tried to fit it into too tight a window or there was some weird tip magic going on. Uh, and, and that's the kind of stuff that just over the course of a season is going to happen to you. So we can come away actually with a pretty positive review of Kirk Cousins, which is not surprising considering we only had six of these. So they would have had to be really, really bad for us to think, oh, wow, these interceptions point to a big problem. I would probably say that, yeah, you got to be a little more careful around sneaky coverages, but considering there's only a couple examples of that, I'm not too mad. And maybe he could fit it into tight windows less, but I don't really want to take that behavior away from him because it does lead to some pretty good conversion and there's a lot more cool stuff that happened over the course of the season that's worth highlighting and worth keeping. So I probably wouldn't move him off that tendency. And I would say, eh, yeah, if that costs me six interceptions a year, I think that's fine. So that's going to do it for this episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for hanging out and going on this little journey with me. I'll see you all tomorrow. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. The show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcast. So you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow for the last show of the week. And as always, skull.